for April 3rd, 2017. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 457. How can we not talk about family when family's all that we got? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, and we just love to hang out with you and to hang out with each other and to talk uh, about the things that interest us. Usually it's uh, it's movies, uh, usually it's uh, television, it's music, it's whatever is going on in the pop culture, but I have a feeling uh, that it might go a little deeper than that this week, because I, your host, Matt Rather, am joined by my partner in two-handed podcasting, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you? I, I'm very good. I'm just imagining the stories. One day, one day, humans will tell stories uh, about these these podcasts. You know, these these two-handed podcasts that you and I do by foregoing the use of our our dominant hands and only podcasting left-handed. Um, are you left? Are you left-handed, Pete? I don't know that, and and I've known you for two decades, so you'd think I would. No, no, uh, my father is left-handed, but I am not left-handed. Yeah, I am right-handed. I, I'm not sure. Uh, d- does it run in families like that? I guess it, I, being a thing, it must. <laughs> right? I, being a thing, it must? I don't know. Is it developmental? Is it nature? Is it nurture? That's uh, Yeah, uh, God, that's, a, that's an interesting question, and I would love to hear someone in the comments uh, educate us on uh, uh, what the, all the dynamics are of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I too am right-handed, and so we are we are podcasting left-handed today. It's one of our 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 storied left-handed podcasts, uh, the two the the two-handers. And I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like it's an auspicious time, um, an auspicious time of year, an auspicious time in the calendar, an auspicious time in our lives, uh, and I feel a great. Um, uh, a great sort of impulse to get ready. Not the, uh, not the Lenten impulse I feel as a Catholic to purify my soul, uh, in, in advance of Easter. No, a, uh, the, the, um, the impulse I feel, uh, to become yet more fast and yet more furious, <laughs> uh, always ever more fast and ever more furious in uh, in anticipation of the release of F eight or uh, Fate. Um, Pete, have you heard of this franchise of films called The Fast and the Furious? You know, uh, I am somewhat familiar with Vin Diesel's <laughs> with Vin Diesel's Point Break remake and its subsequent domination of the of the culture over the course of the following at this point 16 years <laughs> which is amazing wow uh, although uh, it is not an unbroken dominance by any stretch of the imagination it's not even an unbroken vin diesel project <laughs> so <laughs> but yes uh, yes i am and you can actually buy all the overviews right we still have the overviews available for all of the movies oh yeah that's a that's a good point i'll put some links into the i'll put some links into the show notes for for um the overviews where we watch the films in real time and talk about them now we could we can't like sell the films because that would be piracy right they're not right. ours to sell so uh you don't g- get the film when you get an overview you get an mp3 track of the overthinkers talking about the film in time with the film happening so you get your own copy of the film however you do that whether it's physical uh media whether it's streaming what, whatever you do and i i honestly i don't want to know too much about that side of it but you sync it up with 
with our uh, you sync it up with our recordings, and it's like you're watching the movie with your friends from uh, from overthinking it. One of the great pleasures of my life uh, has always been watching movies with my friends from from overthinking it, and it's it's nice that we can share uh, share that with uh, with our global community of overthinking it podcast listeners and overthinking it readers. Um, uh, well, Matt, actually, we only did an overview for the first Fast and the Furious movie, right? You and I did. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, we never, we never did. Uh, you know what? There, there were other uh, Fast and the Furious. I mean, I think every film really has gotten a that that's been released during uh, the run of this podcast has gotten its own episode. And uh, I know you did a special episode, for example, on uh, Tokyo Drift. Um, mm-hmm. And we're we're certainly going to to uh, I mean I, I don't like to call our shots because uh, it's a it's a fluid fast moving target rich environment pop culture podcasting but it's almost certain that two weeks from now we will be uh, uh, sitting down sitting down at a big uh, a big family dining table you know <laughs> um, outside low, overlooking downtown Los Angeles and Dodger Stadium right in the hills uh, up there to, to uh, and and Pete will lead us in grace, and uh, and then uh, and and we'll we'll say some sassy things to one another, and and bask in in the love uh, that we that we feel as a sort of podcast uh, family. So so we have two um, two weeks, Pete, to prepare for. Uh, to prepare for fate, um, in which you know, if the if the trailers are are to be believed, uh, Dominic Toretto goes rogue. <laughs> I suppose you could describe it as that. He he, he flips right, supposedly according to the trailers. Yeah, he turns. He, he, he goes with uh, uh, the the villain. I forget who plays the villain, but um, Charlize Theron. Oh wow! Academy Award winner Charlize yeah. Theron and. Yeah. Uh, and um, turns against uh, all his turns against all his erstwhile family. Um, wow, what a uh, uh, what a stunning reversal! What a, <laughs> what an incredible contrapasso! Don't patronize me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> was it you I was patronizing? I don't know, but I, I feel I don't know. I feel a certain association with these movies and <laughs> a need to sort of uh, I don't know. Are we speaking truth to horsepower? Is that what we're doing now? <laughs> you, yeah. Look, you're talking you're talking to the guy who had a Gossip Girl podcast for several <laughs> years. So I'm not in a position to. Uh, to criticize but what i mean i i i I don't know i think that these that these films have um and and we're we're not gonna just kind of chew over fast and the furious for uh the two hours leading up to our actual podcast on it for that uh please see every other week of the overthinking it podcast but um i i feel like these films have a a certain sentimental power that doesn't you know that doesn't necessarily um that that is not necessarily uh encapsulated in their status as summer tentpoles or action films or like car gearhead type films and i i don't know i just wonder what you think that kind of uh, strong emotional pull that these films yeah. have is attributable to well i mean the so the word right so there's a word that's associated with these films 
And I feel like that's the word that motivates me to want to have a run up, have a lead in, have a couple of weeks for us to talk about, uh, maybe come up with a couple of interesting ways to sort of spin the podcast between now and then. Uh, And that word is family, right? And family is a big word. It's a big word in pop culture. As we've talked about before, it is a huge rubric for pop culture storytelling because uh, storytellers attribute to it a lot of the unfulfilled urges, right? And the sort of the perfectibility that people seek in their lives or the pains that they want to see redressed or the things the things that they will continue and come back to, right? This this idea that, that, that you would watch a show every week because the show is your family or you would go back to a movie series because the movie series is your family. The idea that you would eat breadsticks because when you're there, you're family, right? Like it's, it's <laughs> this word... And uh, one of uh, one of the the um, I guess one of the one of the sort of structural uh, uh, elements structural element is a bit of a, 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 a simplification. One of the sort of major uh, analytical insights into the way that people use the English language specifically and language in general to talk about things, and maybe you can kind of help with the other side of this uh, for me, Matt. Is it, it took me a, it's taken me a while to get to the point where I can comfortably talk about what is a metaphor and what is a symbol, right? Uh, or what is a metaphor and a metonym? I mean, if you want to learn metaphor and metonym, just go back to the old uh, Fencil on Dragon Ball post about uh-huh. it if you're a member. But but this idea that that there are some things like, – like it is so common today, right – to talk about something that stands for something else, right? Oh, this means this. This means that, right? Like, oh, I'm watching Game of Thrones, and this person is clearly French, and this person is clearly German, and the dragon is clearly Italian, you know, for some reason. Uh, but but this idea that everything has to have a one-to-one correspondence with everything else, and uh, and there there's like a, a couple of there's a there's a sort of a, a comfortable uh, laziness. In attributing something to something else in an analysis, right? And say like, well, this stands for this, this stands for that. And you're not really getting specific into the notion of whether it stands for one thing, whether it it definitely stands for that thing or only sort of suggests that it stands for that thing or whether it could stand for that thing but also stand for other things, uh, right? And, and so I guess is it correct to say, Matt, that in that whole scheme, right, a metaphor that has a tenor and a vehicle, it, it stands for one thing. Whereas a symbol can stand for many things or doesn't authoritatively stand for any one thing. I mean, how would you – and I would argue – I mean, the reason I'm saying this is that family in this conversation and in the conversation around Fast and the Furious seems to be increasingly a symbolic statement rather than a metaphor, wherein a bunch of people who have cars are like a family, right, that sits at home and eats dinner together. Uh, I mean, this uh, – uh, yeah, symbol, metaphor, yes. family. <laughs> uh, yes, I, sorry, I should have jumped in uh, about about <laughs> ten seconds ago. But I, I, one way I have of looking at it that just occurs to me now as you're talking about it is it's there's a difference of scope. Like the scope conditions of a metaphor. A metaphor is usually ad hoc to a particular work or even a particular like line of poetry or prose or something like that, right? Um, when you say, uh, well, it's a simile, but when you say, my mistress' eyes are nothing like the sun, right? You, you, there, there are scope conditions to when you know that association begins and ends, right? And like, uh, uh, 
you know, a metaphor is implied is implied comparison, figurative language that implies comparison. Uh, uh, metonym is is figurative language that substitutes by association. So, so, so not to go too far, uh, you you sort of said that and then moved past it. As I think people could use a little bit more explanation when you're talking about you know, well, shall I compare thee to Summer's Day, the Shakespeare sonnet, right? Oh no, my mistress is nothing like the sun. It's a different Shakespeare sonnet. Well, it is. When right, you say yeah. yeah, but there's a condition that it begins and ends. Like, what do you mean by that? What is what is the where does it begin and end? Oh well, it it be, it's the idea is that um, this is not this is not a statement about reality per se, right? Like this is not you know in in um, the, the let me back up like five or six levels of abstraction to to talk about <laughs> to talk about this sort of thing um, when you know back in the good old days when everyone uh, was a righteous European Christian. Six, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hold for laugh. Um, There, there was a genre of literature that was called defensive poetry, right? That where poets would talk about why you, um, why you would write poems at all, why you would have fiction, why you would have, uh, you know, literary activity that was not like scriptural exegesis, was not sermons, was not like concerned with the salvation of souls and ultimate truth and uh, and things like this, yeah. right? Like the, the version of today was like, why would you make something that isn't about social justice, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, sure. It, it, the slightly. Yeah. I, I, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I want to point out the differences, but I think you're actually more right to say that the things are that the things are more similar. So, sir, there there are many many um, kind of examples of of this sort of thing. Why is it good? Uh, why is fiction good? Why is poetry good? A lot of them have to do with sort of moral education, moral imagination, um, uh, this sort of thing. But uh, uh, Sir Philip Sidney, in his defense of poesy, uh, which was the word that that he used for for that, um, which is related to the word like poesis, which has to do with making um said the uh the poet nothing affirmeth and therefore never lieth um because one of the issues was if you're telling fiction you're telling lies like these things didn't happen you know uh it's it's like the worst you know it's like the worst wait, wait uh, you're saying that dom toretto didn't leap out of a catapulting dodge challenger catch letty in midair between the two highway uh bridges and land on the opposite bridge uh safely if with a kathump uh <laughs> that that's not something that took place in real life like learning about that doesn't teach me anything real about anything that actually happened <laughs> yes that these are lies lies Lies, damned lies, and and statistics, right? And that that um uh that this is bad, right? Because lying is bad, and and yeah. there actually is something that needs to be answered in that because it does seem simplistic to say, well, lying is bad. Well, it's not exactly lying. Wait, why not? You know, and the answer to that isn't as straightforward uh, as you think. Sir Philip Sidney's answer was the poet, uh, nothing affirmeth and therefore never lieth. So the idea is that uh, in poetry or in you can kind of generalize out to all sorts of of art making, um, though there is perhaps a kind of moral truth, there is a kind of aesthetic truth, there may be a kind of philosophical truth uh, that's told. It's not the logician's truth. It's not the truth of geometry proofs. Right. And so. 
you, the poet nothing affirmeth. The poet never makes a claim in this sort of veridical dimension, you know, and therefore never lieth. Uh, because lying requires, uh, in a way that, that no, I, I don't mean, I don't mean in a way. One of the, I mean that among the conditions necessary to tell a lie, among the necessary conditions, um, is that you be in a discourse of veridical truth, you know, uh, and then there are things having to do with intentionality and, and, you know, um, knowledge and, and things like this. Let's not, uh, let's not go into that in this, uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, take this alternative route into like, um, uh, into non veridical truth, right? So you, you cannot lie if you are not, uh, if you are not playing that game. Now, th- this is a little bit convenient, right? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it does carve out a huge exception um, to something like moral responsibility for, uh, for poets and artists. I'm, I'm okay with that, though. Uh, you know, um, at least uh, in, in the kind of the bounds that, that Sir Philip Sidney had. So when I say that, like, there are scope conditions to uh, a metaphor, to a literary figure, of speech um, wh- what I under- what I understand is that like um, what I understand that to mean is that w- w- the person who uses it isn't making truth claims about the nature of reality right um, the the to say that like Pyrrhus was a snake as he jumped among the you know the army the the Danon hordes or what you know whatever right the uh, the Pyrrhus being the he was he was Trojan right Pyrrhus was the Trojan um, uh, warrior or oh, I forget which side he was on I don't know it's a, it's a classical thing and and uh, there's a famous um, metaphor or I, I guess epic simile because it's it's uh, uses as um, the uh, uh, the simile compares Pyrrhus to a snake. Now, it's not saying that he was a snake. And this is very important. Right? <laughs> like he's not. He doesn't slither away at the end of the battle. Uh, it's saying that he was like a snake in particular uh, respects because of his ferocity, because of his lethality, because of his uh, exuberant motion, his sort of sudden striking, and and things like this. These are the the, the points of comparison between the vehicle and the tent of the the metaphor um but there's a box around that where we all understand that this isn't real you know that that this is that this is a uh a point that's being made for particular reasons within a particular uh, within the confines of a particular work and it sort of doesn't spill over Right. <laughs> to, long story. Long story short. Too late. Um, there are scope conditions around a metaphor, and and with a symbol, uh, I think that that symbols, I would say, by contrast, have a have more of a global scope. Um, that mm. uh, the idea the idea of a symbol refers to something that's out there in the world, right? And one of the most famous symbols, or I should say, maybe famous is the wrong word, one of the most recognized symbols that there is, the Christian cross, you know, these two lines uh, uh, crossing each other, right, Uh, um, can have various sets of associations depending on on who you are and what your experience with it is. But 
those associations have to do with real things in the world, you know, with how people ought to act or behave, how people ought not to act or behave, uh, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, um, you know, who, who is tolerant, who's intolerant, who uh, belongs, who doesn't belong, who, you know what I mean? There, it can go down a lot of ways, but it has to do with the actual organization of actual things rather than, uh, rather than being kind of constrained to a, you know, I can't draw a, a, a Christian cross, um oh and and say like oh no it's only for this one particular uh one particular purpose right like the cat's out of the bag uh a little bit and that kind of cat out of bag quality is what is what i would say is the the uh quality of of a symbol i don't know it, it it's yeah. a slightly different take on it than than what you had pete but does it dovetail with with uh, uh your view of the matter yeah so let's let's take all that and let's bring it back to fate right to fast and the furious and to what we're going to do over the next three weeks so in the fast and the furious when dom is talking about how the people who are racing the cars and stealing the dvd players or whatever they're doing uh when he's talking about those people uh, as his family he's there is a metaphor there that dwells for the most part within the context of the movie you're saying that sort of not you're saying but i would say in relation to what you said that has a beginning and an end within the scope of the story that the movie is telling and that isn't uh isn't really asking us to affirm or deny whether street racers are biological family to each other right in a, in a meaningful way no right? because or similar to biological family because what's what's going on there is that it's a rhetorical it's a political move right like what yeah. the the claim that's being made is that these people who are sort of the outcasts of society ought to be able to claim um, some of the the social recognition and approval that the kind of the the square community right that the mainstream society confers upon you know traditional uh, kind of uh, relationships of blood and marriage of sort of uh, you know dynastic succession of like the stability of the institution uh, of the family and and the, the political claim is that though it does not fit the institutional uh, definition, these people are worthy, they're entitled to uh, regard, um, and that the bonds among them are are valuable. Right. And the symbolic sense is when they pass the chicken around, right, when, when they drink the Coronas without the limes, uh, you can have any kind of uh, was it? You can have any kind of beer you want as long as it's a Corona. Yep. As such, uh, when they do all that, those I feel as the series has extended onward and and engaged more with the culture and less with merely being a, a Point Break remake, right? Like uh, those things have taken on greater degree of symbolism, broad symbolism, broad symbolic significance is probably a better way of saying it. Symbolic significance. And and here's what happened though, is that Paul Walker died, right? Yes, and, and that Paul, is Paul, that that did indeed happen. And, and when Paul Walker died, and Vin Diesel spoke about Paul Walker so often and with such earnest feeling and deep feeling, it seemed right. And and this was then in a movie, right? Like Paul Walker died while they were making the movie. There was a period of time in which it was much discussed that Paul Walker had died while they were making the movie. And then they made a movie that was, to a large extent, you know, a meta text about the death of Paul Walker. And and what to do and what it meant and what it meant for the symbolic scope and significance of the Fast and Furious family, right, which which uh, sort of gave it gave truth to the lie, I suppose, or or truth to the lie to the truth or lie to the truth to the lie to the truth in that it it made a it made an affirm it affirmeth. 
right? Like when you're talking about I named I named my daughter like Paula, right, or Paulina, or something like that. Didn't Vin Diesel name his daughter after Paul Walker? Huh. Uh, Vin Diesel is friends with Paul Walker's mom, right, and still is friends with Paul Walker's mom. So in that those respects, the Fast and the Furious franchise affirmeth family it, it, to a greater to a it's, it, and you. It, I want to I want to resist putting it on a continuum, right? And putting it on a scale of truthness to not truthness because they're not the same, right? This this sort of the way that family functions in the first Fast and Furious movie, where they're making this very clearly making this political statement, and uh, O'Connor isn't even necessarily part of it, right? To where it works across multiple movies, where there's this larger cultural resonance that's happening with the audience coming back and people happy to see the characters. To this point where they're talking about the real-life relationships between the people who are in the movie, right? And, and, and so there's these all these different levels in which the, the, the notion of family here is, is true, claims to be true, or doesn't claim to be true, or is a symbol or is a metaphor. And, and I feel like this moment, this, this cruelest month of April here as we lead up to fate, something doesn't feel quite right about this Fast and the Furious movie. I don't know if it's to to you. It feels that way to me. And one of them is that I don't know what family means in the context of this movie anymore, right? Because Paul Walker's dead. Uh, I mean, you know, I guess I guess we could say spoilers for the previous Fast and the Furious movies, at this point, <laughs> right? Like Han is dead, right? Letty had horrible brain damage and amnesia and has never really been the same. Right. Um, I mean, yes, you know, The Rock is coming back, but he wasn't in the first bunch of movies. It's, I guess he's part of the family now. It, there's there's this question heading into fate of who is in the family and what does the family mean? And since I don't really feel solid right now, because because it, I mean, they could maybe just make it about Paul Walker being dead again. Right. But they did that. I can't imagine that there's more of that that needs to happen. Right. Like, I mean, other than the fact that they should have won the Oscar for best original song or at least been nominated. Right. Because 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 of that huge tribute that they did. They I mean, they pulled out every stop. They they dosed that combustion chamber with as much nitrous as they could muster. Right. <laughs> like the assertion of Paul Walker. Paul Walker's death has been asserted. It is a thing that people have said has happened. Not it is a thing that happened. And there's a people that think that people, thing that people have said has happened now that it is over. What is the truth space of the family in the context of Past the Furious? And in the, and if I don't know what that is, then what does it mean to me that Dom Toretto betrays it? Right? Like, now, is it one, one, one answer that comes to mind right away is that maybe this is the movie about how Vin Diesel doesn't know what the Fast and the Furious movies are about anymore. Right? Because I've heard he's kind of plunged into a bit of a depression since Paul Walker's death, which might explain The Last Witch Hunter. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but that like maybe Vin Diesel doesn't know what to do with these movies anymore. I mean, we'll see. We will see because fate is coming. Fate is coming whether you like it or not. And just because fate came for one person doesn't mean it isn't coming for everyone. Sure. Right. Hashtag fate. A- April. Uh, April 2017. Uh, by the way, I already have my tickets. I'm really excited. <laughs> so <laughs> my fiance bought my tickets, bought our tickets weeks ago to well, that, go see uh, Fast and the Furious. Th- that's how you know it's the one. <laughs> but I mean, do you I mean, do you do you feel any sort of similar sense around this idea of of not because because then that what that says to me is this is not just an occasion to talk just like Fast and the Furious isn't really about the cars. Right. The talking about the Fast and the Furious family and what that means 
it to me isn't just about whether Tyrese is friends with Ludacris, right? Like that's not this. That's not this. The uh, that what's at stake, right? Uh, it's something more than that for a lot of people. Well, I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's a very it's a very interesting thing. I mean, let me let me. Um uh, uh, quote Wiz Khalifa, um, and <laughs> always Matt. But you don't even have to ask permission. You can always quote Wiz Khalifa on the podcast. Uh, uh, you know how can we not talk about family when family's all that we got uh, from the from the what ought to have been the Oscar winning song "See You Again" from Furious Seven, right? And and this is, there there are a series of of interrelated claims made in this in this line. Um, and it's it's a uh, it's a question that I think is supposed to be rhetorical, but uh, in true overthinking it podcast fashion, let's let's uh, un un uh, rhetoricize the question. Right? How can we not talk about family? That's the rhetorical question. When under the circumstances that family's all we've got. All right. So so the first thing, right? Like resolved, family's all we've got. Right. right there 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 is a syllogism here um you know a families all uh all we've got b uh how can we not talk about family under those uh you know um we we have to talk about something c uh, well that that's part of it right we have to talk about something right. seems to be part of the syllogism yeah c, c how can you know how can we not talk about family when when family's all all that we've got and the the answer is of course of course we can talk about about family but like is family all we've got and uh does that require i mean does that require that we we talk talk about it. I I think things that we talk about a lot uh, are paradoxically the things that we are the least sure about. And that's why it requires the talking, right? There isn't a lot of debate that goes into like whether the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning, you know, that that's not something that needs uh, elaborate rituals uh, uh, ar- around it, right? Like that's not the sort of thing that needs um, a whole mechanism of sort of proposing to the sun <laughs> as it comes up, you know, that it come up, uh, uh, marrying it as it comes up in the, you know, in the morning and then like, uh, you know, laying it to rest uh, uh, every night. And yet we have a whole apparatus of discursive technology around around uh, families, uh, whether it's whether it's like testamentary aspects like wills from the, the, the people in your family who have died, whether it's um, rituals around uh, forming forming alliances between families through marriage, uh, whether it's sort of things about uh, things about children and, and um, you know, uh, christenings and things like this right like the the whole there is a there is a set of ritual practices around the idea of of family and i and i think if there weren't a certain amount of insecurity about that the, none of that ritual none of that ritual stuff would be uh would be necessary because we sort of we we use ritual to kind of cement the non-obvious the non-inevitable uh as though it were as though it were inevitable. Interesting, interesting. So the idea is that, and in this, if this extends, so to look at this, of course, through the arc of the Fast and the Furious movies, in the first Fast and the Furious movie, the rituals are built around Dom's family because the people in Dom's family 
don't have a family. Right. Right. And and they, they don't have a biological family. They don't have adoptive families. They don't have uh, families they can count on uh, that are that are, I guess, more conventional or traditional or more financially stable or any of those things. So they create this family of choice and they build rituals around it in order to uh, give credence to the impermanence of it or to the to the the lack that it exists to combat right and to strive against i suppose would be another way of putting it right and th- yeah. and that it needs to be it needs to be sort of tended you have to sort of tend you know you have to sort of uh you have to sort of tend to that yeah. to to that sort of family though though you know we we all have experiences with relatives that you couldn't get rid of if you tried um like there's nobody in fast the furious who just has a car that sits still and everyone's like move your car out of the driveway yeah, right, like, exactly. nah, you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> uncle uh, uncle joe uncle joe why are you around here again get get your pontiac trans am out of the driveway uh, <laughs> american muscle um the the uh yeah and and so there's this like um there's this sort of i mean there's this sort of insecurity about it and yet it it's something that sort of persists through time right like does that i i wonder what's changed because of the death of of paul walker right like is uh let me is is the paul walker character still in the family despite the death of of Paul Walker right or the the despite that character not being around like i i'd say yes absolutely right like one of the yeah. things one of the things that a, a family does is it provides a sense of continuity through time. Uh, it provides a sense of sort of, of, of lineage or community, right. That, that persists, um, even after, uh, even after people have died, right. Like my, my grandparents are always my grandparents, even, even though they're no longer with us. Right. And they, they still, I, I carry kind of, uh, internal representations of them, um, around with me in my mind. And that's, you know, and, and they are still sort of there for me. And likewise with, likewise with the, the sort of real or fictional people, uh, who have kind of passed out of this world, um, they're, they're, they're still, you know, they're still sort of a part of the i mean there's still sort of a part of the family um and and uh and the rituals change right like there's a, a ritual of uh uh, the, actually, in fiction, there are a number of, of rituals that have to do with departed ones. One is like haunting, you know, mm. uh, that's when they come to you. Uh, or there's like um, a sense of going to them, of sort of honoring ancestors and kind of calling them to mind, like remembering them at certain uh, at certain appropriate times. Um, you know, uh, that the the um, you know the the sort of the ancestors or the the community those who have gone before uh still are part are a part of this so like a few i mean so a few a few things um have emerged about family it's at least partly discursive right it persists uh through time it persists beyond uh, you know, beyond the grave. And I, and Pete, I say all of these things as a way to kind of answer your question of like, what does, uh, what does family even mean, uh, anymore in, in the Fast and the Furious movies, you know, and, and, and I hope that you feel like you're, uh, um, you know, the, the, that the darkness is being illuminated somewhat by all of yeah, this. Yeah. Well, sure. I, it's interesting to posit that or to assert that, uh, the death of Paul Walker, Paul, that Paul Walker is still part of the family, 
even though Paul Walker has died because of rituals and beliefs that that affirm family relationship as something as as sort of almost uh, an, an information that can't be created or destroyed, an interest sort of an, an essence that that. Uh, <clears throat> That both supersedes an existence, but also surpasses the existence, right? Which is it's sort of an interesting existential take on that, right? Is that uh, that you know somebody somebody can be and then be a brother, and then cease to be, but still be a brother, uh, which is an interesting little uh, little trick to play. Which is but yeah, that's but interesting. That, yeah. My my brother is younger than me; he's two years younger than me. So there was a time. It's like for him, there was ne- never a time when he was when he was not a brother, right? Mm. And for me, there was a time when I was when I was not a brother. But there will not be a time when I am that I am not a brother, right? Like right. once once conferred, the sort of seal of family is is indelible to to a certain extent. Right. But then with the Fast and the Furious, the question one of the one of the things that happens though is that people who join the family later might not necessarily have a different relationship, right, with the people who came before than the people who knew them. And you do learn about, you know, your great aunts and your great grandparents and the people who have been in the family that people knew and loved and they're gone. And you you may in your family or you may not, you learn about these people, learn the sort of prevailing feelings about these people. And yet the relationship feels so different to come into it after the fact and be told about them, right? Uh, and this is not to – again, this is not to say that it's less, but it feels on a different level of reality than having known these people and lost them, uh, right? So they, I, I, I'm thinking about this because you know, starting to do things like plan weddings and thinking about the weddings I went to as a child and the people who were there that aren't going to be there and, and the people – who are going to be at my wedding who weren't at the weddings that taught me what weddings are, right? And, and so who are – the Fast and Furious is a wonderful little symbol of this, right? Because the first Fast and Furious movie had a lot of people at it that aren't there anymore. And uh, and also the new Fast and Furious movies have a lot of people at them that weren't there when it started and who wouldn't have made any sense being there when it started and yet who now feel like natural fits like The Rock. And what do you say to the people who are there now about the people who were there before, like the Jessies, right? Like the uh, – the, oh gosh, what is the guy's name? Je- not, <laughs> I can't believe I'm blanking on the n- name of the horrible uh, Asian villain in the first Fast and the Furious movie. John, is it Johnny Chan? Uh, Johnny Tran. Johnny Tran. Like Johnny Tran ain't coming back, right? Although he might. Uh, but but it's but the family feels like it has a continuity and a persistence. Or I would even venture to say that the family does have a persistence, and, and the persistence is asserted. Through the rituals and and the rituals are the movies and the rituals are the graces that are said in the movies and the chicken dinners. Um, but but then it's sort of uh, it asks the people who are still there who have been there, maybe left and come back. Do what is your perspective? What is your assertion? What is your uh, being? What is your participation and what is your identification of the thing that you are in now? Who is it for the benefit of? Is it for, do you are you primarily concerned with your with Paul Walker? Right? Is is Fast and the Furious always going to be the thing that Paul Walker used to be in? Right? Um, and is that so important to you? 
that I, the people that come along need to learn it, right? Like like a country is like that, right? Where it's like, no, the country is the way that it was founded with its foundational epic or whatever, right? Like there's there's always going to be a part of America that has to do with George Washington, even though George Washington hasn't been part of it for a very long time, right? Um yeah, because these are yeah, because these are the these are the stories that people tell, right? And there there are like, um, you know, like a sort of a grandparent who can't stop going on and on about the way things used to be, you know, or like how you kids don't have any appreciation of of this or that, right? Like there's there's a continuum of this where of like uh, sort of debt to the to the past and sort of obligation to the present uh to the present and future you know and that that like and there's also a sort of continuum of of um inclusivity i think right because if one of the if one of the I mean, would would you say if I proposed? Would you agree uh, if I proposed that that this um, that one of the definitions of family is that there's a clean line between who's in and who's out, right? And there, there are different kinds of relationships. In laws are are different than brothers and sisters, you know, the, the, right? Like the, maybe there are concentric circles, but um, you can say that someone is. Uh, someone is family and someone is is not family, right? That, then it strikes me that there's a certain kind of moral generosity uh, uh, verging on it at, at certain points moral heroism in kind of extending that membership uh, generously, right? Rather than, rather than sort of withholding it, um, rather than withholding it. But then, like, what is the obligation of the new people to, uh, to the stories of the past and to sort of uh, coming to understand the, uh, coming to understand the stories of the past? Yeah. I mean, here's a, a concrete example of it, right? Like, it's, um, you know, th- there are people, uh, who write for overthinking it now who never set foot inside the Kelly house. Mm. You know, who never yeah. or the, and the this, apartment where a lot of us lived in right, right. back and, in the day. Yeah. yeah, but that that like was a before overthinking it was even a gleam in any of our eyes was a kind of social center where a lot of the activities that continue to this day on the site and on the podcast and the videos and whatnot uh, were just practiced for the for the fun of it. Those were the days. Those were the days, Pete, back in back in those days. <laughs> We didn't, well, we didn't care. Being, we yeah. didn't care how many Twitter followers we had. You know, these kids today and their phones and their social media and their, uh, you know, their their obsession with likes. Right back then, we just uh, back then we just laid back on the floor, pointed a projector at the ceiling, and played Mario Kart sixty four for hours and hours on end, laying on our backs, staring up at Mario on the ceiling. Back then, we only used to get mad about real people not liking us as virtual <laughs> people not liking us. Uh, I mean, but that's interesting because this gives this gives us something of a well, I guess a symbol for appreciating this kind of I mean, I want to call it get off my lawnness, but I'll use another I'll use another uh, another symbolic experience. Uh, last night, so we're recording this on Sunday. On Saturday night, I'm in a monthly improv show and uh, I'm actually on a bit of a hiatus from my other uh, comedy performance uh, hobbies and interests. And right now I'm taking a few months off, taking probably about at least six months off, but I've still been performing in this monthly show. And I skipped the one in March because I was traveling, 
But uh, I so I haven't been one in two months. And I went back and I did a show last night and the show didn't feel right. Right. The show didn't feel right for me. Um, I don't think it was nearly as bad as I thought it was, but I didn't feel good in the show. Uh, I was very rusty. Um, and but also I felt after leaving it, I felt like uh, that I have changed. Right. And it's not just that I've changed in the two months since I went on stage with this group previously. It's that I've been changing for a long time as a person. And I was in the habit of performing the show with an expectation of how the shows used to be, right, or how my shows used to be. And with improv, you kind of have to be up to speed with yourself if you're going to do it, right? You have to kind of you have to you have to exist in and and dialogue and and attempt to create in real time, right, in order to participate in, in an improv show. And I'm thinking that you know. This is that's not who I am anymore. The person the person who you did the shows the way that it was. I don't even really know if I know how to do a show as myself now as yeah, the person that I am now. Well, I mean, that's why the comedy community is known for maturity and psychological health. <laughs> well, it's you know, you figure out something that works and you just hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. And I, I mean, it's maybe maybe it's a coincidence that I said that when a podcast where we're nominally talking about the Fast the Furious movies, where you just find something that works and you hammer it and you hammer it and you hammer it. Although I do feel like those movies have uh, yielded to uh, uh, an immutability and have exemplified a versatility that no one ever could have guessed that they would have. Uh, but but this idea of, of, yes, it is sad to look at the way things are, or there is an energy and a power to feeling and, and enduring and repeating the way that things were. Uh, but but at the same time, you know, the, the, the family, the family, I guess what, like the, the Game of Thrones way is that like the lone wolf dies and the pack survives. Right. Like you're in the same wolf pack, but you might not be the same wolf. Right. And uh, and maybe you need to reinvestigate. Maybe Dom Toretto needs to reinvestigate who Dom Toretto is. And maybe that's a way of saying that all of us kind of have an opportunity in this cruel April uh, to investigate who we are in the context of our family groups, right? The people we choose to be around, the people we are obligated to be around or feel obligated to be around. Uh, it doesn't always have to be the way that it was, but it's also naive to trivialize that inertia and that power of those things the way that they've been. Well, yeah, I mean, that is that is a good, that's actually really a good uh, uh, illustration. And like, th- this is, um, it, it's something that happens in families. It's something that happens in any kind of like social organization that people start to play roles and when the like when the person sort of gets out of sync with the role right uh and and there's a sort of there's a public shared understanding of what your role is and who you are you know and and it's one of those things that like after you come back from college for the first time and your parents are still treating you like a kid and like you know I've read I've read so much Thomas Aquinas. I know things now. I'm a grown up. You know what I mean? Like there there's a, it, it's easy like that's a uh, probably a trivial one as as they go, but uh, you know there there are much more pr- profound things um than reading Thomas Aquinas, but the the uh I would recommend the Fast and the Furious series for example. <laughs> Um, but this, you know, but it's the, it's the sort of thing. And right. And like, and if you know, you know, if you're the funny one or if you're the, the smart one, if you're, or if you're the family F up, right. Like, uh, it's, it's almost impossible to sort of, once you've been cast, it's almost impossible to get out of that role. Uh, even if it, uh, even if it sort of, uh, chafes you after, after a little while, I mean, those, and, and so when you sort of, and, uh, 
after absences, right? It, it's the people you see every year on Thanksgiving um, who are the hardest to deal with in this regard because they have a convenient snapshot of you that they, you know, that allows them to kind of like plug back in uh, once a year and start interacting with a minimum of like ramp up, you know? Uh, Yeah. I would even add to that in line with what we've talked about before is that if you think about the people that, you know, that you meet only on special occasions, when we consider the sort of schemes that we've laid out here for how, uh, I mean, institution, for lack of a better word, but patterns even that the sort of the pattern of a family, right, gets passed down through time and ritual. Uh, If there are if there is if there are sort of forces for mutability, there's forces for change and there's forces for staying the same. And there's when you carry this Noah's Ark forward, right, with all of its animals in it that are breeding furiously and and living and dying over generations. Right. um, The people that you only spend ritual time with are naturally going to be the people with whom you experience the least change. Right. Because all the time that you spend with them is about not change right is about and even even if it's a ritual of change right it's it's about the how the change exists in the context of the family right so if there are family members that you have that you only see at special occasions uh, of course you know yes they'll they'll on one hand they, they don't know you very well in, in terms of oh well i did you didn't know me when i was 14 that well so you don't expect me to continue to act like i did when i was 14 but on the other hand if you find that there's kind of a a, a strictness in who is likes who and who talks to who and how everything works well of course right because those are the moments that reinforce what the family is and it's all the other moments that introduce the the sort of uh the casual sort of mutability uh, of sort of the easy breezy way of living right where you could just sort of like uh be who you are change your tastes change your haircut whatever you're going to do i mean i guess the other way to say it is that when you come to a big family event and something big in your life has changed it is like a really big deal right uh it could be a really big deal even if it's something as simple as somebody like transferring from one school to another or somebody getting a, a nose ring right it could be like wow that happened right that happened. It could be a big deal because this is a meeting and a relationship that's built around uh, persisting, preserving and and preserving and extending the things that we all have agreed to preserve and extend. Right. Because right? memory the, and love and family. Yeah. The, no, the nose ring is important because it's the nose ring is important because not of what it says about my, you know, uh, uh, my crazy cousin Merrill, right? Like the nose ring is important be- is because what it says about me, right? And my mm. sense, of, my sense of myself as a as a member of my family and what I think my family means, right? Like the sort of upstanding New England uh, uh, tradition. I mean, I'm making all this up. I, you know, <laughs> I, I have none of I have none of these things. But like the the um, I I think it's not an exaggeration to say that people's own identity identities get sort of tied up in these things you know people's and and that when when you change the thing that's threatening or the thing that's like not maybe that's too strong a word the thing that can be threatening but is more often a little like whoa okay nose ring there well uh, hell of a nose ring you got is um now i am the sort of person who's related to a person with a nose ring right? right and and whatever the nose the nose ring is a metaphor 
right? Mm. For, for whatever the, uh, the, the nose ring, it, it, it's ad hoc to the scope conditions of this podcast for, you know, whatever the disjunction is, uh, in your, in your family's self-conception. Now there's a different, um, there's a kind of different, uh, rather than the kind of the ritual people, the, the once a year people, um, uh, there's a different definition. Um, and Pete, I, let me, let me just inquire as to whether I may quote Wiz Khalifa from, uh, see you again. You never need to ask Matt to oh. quote Wiz Khalifa. You never need to ask. Right. You said that before. You said that before and I forgot. <laughs> it's become something of a ritual. So <laughs> someday we'll both be dust and there'll be two other guys in the overthinking podcast or maybe two girls, which would be amazing, but they'll still have to ask and implicitly grant permission to quote Wiz Khalifa uh, because that's how family works. That's that's what family's all about, Matt. That's what family is. Fam- family. <laughs> I can't do that. I like the the basso profundo of uh, of Dominic Toretto with that, just like that, you know, subwoofer rumbling family. Um, <laughs> For me, I just have a test that I know when I'm sick, when I can accurately do it. J.K. Simmons as the yellow M&M impression. Santa? Like, if I can really hit the bottom of Santa, then I know I'm sick. Right. And if I can't, then I know, that if I can't quite get it, then I know yeah. my voice is in good shape. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, uh, Khalifa, comma, W, uh, at Alia, uh, propose in, in See You Again that, uh, that at one de- the definition of family is everything I went through, you were standing there by my side. Right. So there is a there is a sort of there is a companionable family and then there is a ritual family. Right. Or an institutional uh, institutional family. And, and you could say that whether like families of choice are more companionable and families of origin are more ritual or institutional um, like that, that maybe that uh, maps on, though I'm sure you could find counterexamples to that. Uh, but that, that like this, this is, this is the sort of different thing because, um, the, you, when you change, right, when, when you get, when, you know, some, some are born with nose rings, some achieve nose rings, and some have nose rings thrust upon them. When, when ow, life. Ow, ow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, when life thrusts a nose ring upon you, you know, um, and you change, right? Like when, when life gives you a kind of disjunction in your identity, the companionable family, um, is not thrown off by that because they were standing beside you and whatever the experience was, it changed them. Uh, it changed them as well. You know, right. Uh, unless the companionable family, unless everything that happened, I was standing by your side is a, is at this point a ritual that is referring to some sort of foundational event that has already transpired. Right. And so you could say like, oh, you've been through with me through everything. I mean, we haven't hung out much in the last two years, but you've been with me through everything. Right. Like uh, and that can also become a reinforcing ritual sort of relationship where a change could be scary because you could lose a friend. Well, right. right. So the whole I mean, the whole thing, like a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of the overthinking crew are college friends. Right. Like which we've been joking mm-hmm. about in, in various ways. And we are to a certain extent a family of choice. And like the the uh, uh, 
Uh, and actually, we have sort of rituals of like sharing meals together and, you know, kind of visiting together and get, uh, coming into one another's coming into one another's presence, at least annually. Um, uh, more often, if there are weddings, you know, and the uh, uh, right like and I feel like about you, Pete, and about the the other pe- uh, people of the, of whom this is true in the crew, like you were you were there with me through everything. Right. Yeah. And uh, that was 20 years ago, you know. <laughs> And, and so I think I think it's uh, it's you know it's times of of great change of great stress uh, you know it's it's those times that are uh, that are the the every those are the everything times and not through the kind of the the long uh, uh, the long sloggy times it's the it's the times of crisis good crisis and and uh, difficult crisis um, that we all you know, uh, that we sort of acknowledge that about. And that's, you know, I, I, am I'm, I'm perfectly willing to, uh, to accept that, you know, as a, uh, as a conceit of talking about, of, of talking about this, this kind of family experience and everything Mm -hmm. that, that, that I went through. Yeah. Everything that, yeah, definitely. It's, It's, uh, it's been, it's been a long day without you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Here's here's what I'd like to do, Matt. Here's what I'd like to do. We have one week left between now and fate, right? And I would love it. Fate, fate comes for us all. That's true. That's true. Um, and I would love it if we could do next week's podcast family style. Right? Ooh, be- <laughs> you mean you mean a big podcast where we pass around dishes and each take a little bit off? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So it means if you listen to this podcast, especially if you listen to it for a while, and you think of yourself as part of the overthinking it family, I would love you to send us something that we could share on the podcast. Something maybe it's something about how you've stayed the same. Maybe it's something about how you've changed that would shock us. Maybe your nose ring that shocks us all and makes us all think that we might be different people. Or maybe you leave us a voicemail. Or I mean, Matt, you could go into the details of all that. I'm putting this forward as an idea, and, and I might I might try to go solicit some other people yeah. who could pitch in. But like with this big fast the future coming up and me feeling so unsure about Dom Toretto's family, it makes me want to check out on our family and see how our family is doing and maybe have a podcast that's dedicated to that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Pete, what do you I'm, say, Matt? I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you on on this, bro. Uh, and so, so here here it is, episode 458 of the Overthinking It podcast uh, is going to be potluck. <laughs> you have to bring you have to bring a little podcast but if everyone brings a little podcast we'll have a lot of uh a lot of podcast together so uh you know we we um uh, we're not it's not a it's not a a free form we'll we'll sort of give you some assignments uh and some prompts to to think about but uh yeah you can uh you can email them into podcast at overthinking com or call and leave a voice voicemail uh at uh the the old podcast voicemail which believe it or not still functions which is 203 uh 285-6401 i'll i'll read that again before and we'll put it in the show notes before the end of the uh before the end of the episode or you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it into us that that actually might be the the best sound quality possible because it doesn't have to go over the telephone system um yeah 
I will say though that if you're if you're one of those people who is now scared to make phone calls because you don't have to, or who is always scared to make phone calls and is so glad that you don't have to do it anymore, um, no one will ever answer that number. <laughs> so oh yeah, call, it goes to yeah. Oh, no, it's not. It doesn't like go to my cell phone. It goes to yeah. Justin. It just goes to a voicemail box. Uh, yeah. But but here's the secret. Uh, you can also text it. <laughs> you can also text 203-285-6401 and we will get the uh we'll get the texts in order and we'll we can kind of construe those into into an email. So you will have almost too many too many options for for what to bring, you know. Uh uh A through K bring an appetizer, right? Uh L through no. Uh right <laughs> L through P bring a hot dish and then everyone else bring a dessert. No, uh you can you can email uh in a letter or a voice memo to podcast at overthinking it.com, or you can call or text uh, 203-285-6401. And we, I mean, we have some, uh, we have some questions uh, that we'd, we'd like to ask you about family. What are those Pete? So one is, what do you think? Well, what do you think the fast and the furious family means? Right. That's one question. What do you think the overthinking it family means? Yeah. Right. Uh, what what's your place? Pick. Tell us about a family you're in, and what your place in it is. Like where do you fit, right? Or tell us about a ritual for a family that you're in that you feel uh, gives it some sort of sense of extension or permanence or endurance over time, right? Uh, something like that. And we'd love to hear about it. Also, you never have to ask to quote Wiz Khalifa. I'm just going to give that as a blanket rule for everybody. So feel free to do that as much as you want. Um, and, and Matt, any anything to add? Any other prompts? No, I like I, I like those. What what does uh, I, and and I'd say like what does the Fast and the Furious family mean? Uh, what does the Overthinking It family mean? I, I anyone within the sound of my voice right now is a member of the Overthinking It family. You know, uh, we we are an extended family that stretches around around the globe. Um, what does it mean to you when you say what does it what does the Overthinking It family mean? What does it mean to you to be a part of this to identify uh, yourself as an overthinker, as a kind of family of choice. Uh, tell us about a family you're in. Uh, it would be, you know, very interesting if it were one that was sort of non-obvious. Uh, and uh, what is a ritual that cements uh, family membership, cements continuity through time, um, through those uh, uh, through those things? Um, the, uh, once again, the channels are uh, podcasted at overthinkingit.com for emails and voice memos. Uh, as attachments or 203-285-6401 for uh, voicemails and and texts this is uh this is going to be uh, uh exciting we're gonna have a lot of pieces to put together but uh pete and i are going to tuck into this uh, incredible um incredible potluck uh uh podcast next next week you 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 getting hungry pete getting hungry for the for the the chicken dinner of podcasting that we're gonna have <laughs> Oh, daddy's got to go to work, Matt, before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in, in closing, Pete, may, may I please quote Wiz Khalifa? Uh, you can always quote Wiz Khalifa. You never need my permission Matt, well, or anyone's for that matter. Uh all right. Well, um, it, 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 this, it's been a, a, a good podcast. We've come a long way from where we began. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again to subject the popular culture <laughs> to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably 
doesn't. Does it? Deserve. deserve.